Well, you have heard it said many times, and you may have even said it yourself, something to the effect of uh, this statement, that Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago. And in some ways, that statement is true. He was born in a a physical sense uh, as a human infant, just like every one of us, which we're reminded of almost every week at the Wellspring Baby Factory, right? But the greater truth is this, is that Jesus has always been and will always be. That's why in scripture he refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see from the very first pages of the Bible, the evidence for and the foreshadowing of Jesus' ministry is everywhere. And so this school year we're going to be getting a new series, Todd, unveil it. Bam, yes, right there, there it is. Jesus in Genesis is what we're going to be talking about this year, and we're going to be taking a journey through the very first book in the Old Testament and discussing the presence of Christ and his saving work from the very beginning of time. So I'm going to warn you this morning that we're going to be doing some Bible calisthenics Okay, so we're going to be going through many, many different verses, so get those fingers ready, okay, and try to keep up. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles first to Luke 24, it's page 963 in your pew Bibles. Luke 24. Now, it's interesting that we're talking about Genesis, but we're starting after Jesus' resurrection, okay? There you go. Okay, so Luke 24, after Jesus has been resurrected, and this is a a conversation, these two folks that have been in Jerusalem that weekend, followers of Christ that have seen, you know, the crucifixion, they've even heard rumors that morning that that people have said that he wasn't in the the cave anymore, that he's, he's risen, but they're really confused and they're walking home and they're having this conversation and this stranger appears with them on the road and kind of starts listening into their conversation and that stranger is Jesus, they just don't know it yet. But in verse 25, it says this, he said to them, Jesus said, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In all the scriptures. So Jesus acknowledges right up front that everywhere in the Bible, everything that's written, it's about him. It's all about him. It's it's always been about you, right? That's what we sang this morning. Skip down to verse 44. So later Jesus is having a conversation With his disciples, again, after his resurrection, verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Okay, now when when you see the phrase the law of Moses, what they're referring to is the first five books of the Old Testament. So he's saying from the very beginning books of the Old Testament, right on through the Psalms, which is kind of in the middle, right on through the prophets, major prophets and minor prophets, um, all the way to the end of the Old Testament, and then, which leads right into Matthew in the first gospel account of Jesus' life. He says, I am everywhere, 
All those people were writing about me. So this theme of, being, of Jesus being present throughout the history of mankind is reiterated again and again in the New Testament. We see it. Uh, take a look at um, John 5.46 up here. I got a slide for you. This is Jesus speaking. He said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me 4,000 years before Jesus came to this earth. Okay? Paul Later on in the New Testament, he picks up on on this theme of writing as well. Turn over to Colossians in your Bibles, chapter 1. It's page 1075. Colossians chapter 1. Paul is writing. And starting in verse 15, he says this, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Paul is saying, Jesus created everything, and he's kind of the glue that keeps existence going, okay, that keeps it all together, all right? Now, turn a little bit back to your left to the book of John, chapter 1, page 965, okay? I feel like I'm in court. I'm a lawyer. I'm building a case here, people, okay? John, chapter 1. If you haven't noticed when you read the Gospels, John introduces Jesus in a little bit different way than the other Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, do, okay? So his introduction sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1. It starts with the same three words, in the beginning. Okay, verse 1 of John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Okay? So again, John tells us, that Jesus was there in the beginning, that he was creating all things. And he says not only was he with God, but he makes it very clear that Jesus was God. So if that's true, then any time that we see the word God or Lord in the Old Testament, we ought to be able to substitute the word Jesus. And it would have the same meaning. They're one and the same. Okay? So... Does that make sense? Yes and no, right? Yes on the sense of, okay, I can get that, but no on the sense of that's really crazy (laughs) how that all works. It's vastly complex, okay? Because Jesus himself said this in John 10.30. He said, I and the Father are one. Okay, so he reiterates the oneness of him and God again. So the fingerprints of Genesis are all over the New Testament. Every single New Testament writer quotes Genesis. There's over 103 references to the book of Genesis in the New Testament. Okay? So when people talk about, I mean, they ask that question, you know, is the Bible true? Did that stuff in the Old Testament really happen? And you're just like, well, Jesus talks like it happened, and all the New Testament writers speak like Genesis was real, that those events really happened. So... It's kind of hard to argue that. (laughs) Um, 
So in order then to understand, to truly understand the story of Jesus and what his ministry was all about, what his life was all about, we have to view it through the lens of Genesis in order to truly understand that story. Because Genesis lays out all of the major themes of Scripture. It lays out just God and his character, who he is, how he operates. It talks about us who we are and how we operate, and he talks about the interaction between God and man. So Genesis gives the entire Bible and everything else context, okay? Consider this quote. It said, let us consider the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, as history. Amongst the world's religions, Judaism and Christianity are unique in that their teachings and theology are immersed in history. The Bible is a record of a story, A story of God creating a people to whom and through whom to send the Messiah. The story takes place over thousands of years. Without the story of God working in history, the New Testament does not make sense. If the history recorded in the Old Testament is not true, then the hundreds of antitypes in the New Testament lose much or all of their power to teach. None of the other world religions, not Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Confucianism, or Baha'i, find their teachings worked out in history. See, Christianity is unique, right? The Bible is a story. It's a continuous story of man's sin and God's redemption. And it's a story that gets played out every single day of our life in us and in all the people around us. Every day, the story is the same, sin and redemption. Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles into Genesis chapter 1. I'm guessing it's around page 1. You know those pastors that like, use technology, you know those people, like they have the lap, you know, the little, I don't even know what you call them. I'm going to use technology, I'm going to use my phone to hold my Bible in place, because page one's kind of difficult, because it keeps on wanting to close, so I'm using my iPhone in my message today. Genesis chapter one, now before we get started, it's important for us to remember That this book was written by Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to a Jewish audience in Hebrew. Okay? So it's very important for us to remember this is not just, you know, some professor at Oxford, you know, 100 years ago writing in English. Okay? Context is important. And Hebrew is very different language than ours. For one, you read it right to left, okay? Secondly, every letter in the Hebrew language has a picture that goes with that letter, and that picture kind of tells its own story too. And so there's like layers of meaning going on. And when you look at the word with those symbols, there's, the language is deep, And we lose so much of that when we translate it into English. And so, just keep that in mind as we dive in here. So verse 1 starts like this. In the beginning, 
And I want to take a second to enlighten you on the depth of just that phrase, okay? In Hebrew, it's really just in beginning. We put the the in there to make it make sense for us. So in beginning in Hebrew is one word, bereshit. And that word bereshit um, is deep (laughs) and powerful. And if you took those letters and then looked at the pictures that went with each one of those letters, and then you told the story of what the pictures communicate in the first word of the Bible, this is what that would be translated as. The Son of God will be destroyed by his own effort or by his own creation on a cross. That's the translation of the first word of the Bible in Hebrew. No joke, huh? (laughs) The first word of the Bible tells us what's going to happen in Jerusalem thousands of years later. God was working on our redemption before the first human even committed a sin. Does that not blow your mind? That's cool. (laughs) In the beginning, God. Who? God, right? The Bible is a story about God, about who he is and what he does. It's his story, not ours. The Bible isn't meant to be read as an advice column. It's not meant to be read as a a self-help manual, right? If you're having struggles with fear or worry or this issue or this issue, read these verses and it'll help you not, you know, be anxious anymore. I mean, you can use it like that, but that's really not how it was created to be used. And I love the way I've been reading this uh, Kind of commentary on the gospel in Genesis um, by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a a pastor at uh, Westminster in England. This is what he says. He says, well, the Bible, in a most extraordinary way, starts like this. In the beginning, God. It starts with God. And at once I have shown you the ultimate distinction with respect to the views that are held about life. Because of necessity, before I begin to ask any questions about myself and my problems, I ought to ask questions like this. Where did the world come from? Where have I come from? What is life itself? What is its origin? The tragedy of the world today is that it starts too near to its problems. You come to me and say, I'm unhappy. I'm conscious of of an inner conflict. I'm in a crisis What's the matter with me? And the Bible says, in the beginning, God, as if it has forgotten all about you. But it is not. The only way to understand yourself or your life is to start with God. And right at the very beginning, the Bible takes us there. The psychologist starts with you and ends with you, and so do all the others. They suggest things to you and do certain things to you. They try to bring forces and factors to play upon you, and it is you the whole time. That is why the world is as it is, but you cannot understand life 
says the Bible, unless you realize that there, at the back of everything, before everything, is God. Do you see how your starting point is very critical? That Colossians 1 passage that we read earlier said this, all things have been created through him and for him. If we understood that phrase, how would that change the way in which we view our life, our circumstances, the posture we take when we worship? I'm asking you that question right now. If this was our beginning point, how would it change the way we view our life, our circumstances, the posture in which we worship? Yeah, Rob? (laughs) We probably wouldn't focus on our problems so much. Yes. You have a way to just cut right through the chase, don't you, Rob? I like it. Yeah. What else? Yes, where are we at? Yes, Rich. A whole perspective on how you view other people? Okay, give me an example. What do you mean by that? Okay. Rich said we can categorize people, we can judge them quickly, but if we see them through this lens, you know, maybe we see them in a different way. Anybody else have any thoughts? I don't want to rob anybody of the opportunity of speaking in front of the whole congregation this morning, so anyone? Yeah. As I was thinking through this, the way the things that I maybe should, you know, I, I was thinking is this, you know, my life my career, my finances, my relationships, everything about me were created for him and his glory. So I would need to start asking the questions, God, what do you want me to do with these things you've entrusted to me in life? How can I live in such a way that that these things that you've entrusted me with, relationships and career, finance, all those things would give glory and honor to you. Not, how can you bless my agenda for my life? God, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. Can you bless that? See, that has the central character as me. (laughs) And it doesn't read, in the beginning, Bob, right? Right? Let's look at verses 1 and 2, Genesis 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we've already discussed the presence of Jesus in the first Hebrew word in Scripture. Now we see the presence of the Holy Spirit as well. So within the first couple of sentences of the Bible... 
It's communicated to us very clearly that God is in three parts. Father, Son, Spirit, all intimately connected and intimately involved in in creation and redemption. Look down at verse 26 of chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Okay? So you see this communal language right away. Let us make in our image, in our likeness, again, three parts, working in harmony together on our behalf. Okay? Now, as we turn to verse 3, God speaks for the very first time. What do you think he says? Look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let there be light. This is really interesting, because this is what I want you to do. I want you to look down... And I want you to read verses 14 through 19 real quick, just on your own, okay? 14 through 19, share with your buddy next to you if you need to. What was created on day four? What? And? The sun, the moon, and the stars. So in verse one, or verse three, when God says on day one, let there be light, what was the source of the light? It had to be God himself, right? How many of you never knew that the sun and the moon and stars were created three days after let there be light? Come on, raise your hands, all right? That was me too. Isn't that crazy? Guys, remember John chapter one, and I'll just read it for you so you don't have to flip there again. Remember, we started out like this. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he was with God in the beginning, Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Now here, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Later on in John 8... 12, Jesus said this about himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Now check out Paul's comment in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul says this, For God who said, let the light shine in the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let there be light is a loaded statement, isn't it? There's a lot going on there. You see, God revealed to Paul as he's writing 2 Corinthians that the text in Genesis 1 does more than just record history. His acts in creation were like a cosmic foretelling of things to come. Not only was God saying there's going to be literal light that's going to separate light from darkness, but he is also foreshadowing and announcing that the true light, Jesus, was coming to shine light into our hearts so that we might understand God's glory found in Jesus Christ. Do you guys understand that if we aren't enlightened by God, we will miss Jesus? We won't see him. We won't understand him. God has to enlighten us. Layers, people, layers, right? This is rich, isn't it? But it doesn't even end there. I feel like the voice on those old game shows, right? Why don't you tell them what else they've won, Bob? Well, it's a new car, right? Almost. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, page 878. Not only does God say, let there be light, not only is he referring to Jesus being the light, Jesus says, I am the light. Jesus then says to his followers in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, everything that was created is to give him glory. Even when we shine our light out in the world, it's for his glory, not our own. The first word that God spoke into history, now we see also referred to us, his followers. We are the light of the world. And guys, we're just getting started. <laughs> Not this morning, just in general. I know it's a Chiefs game in 30 minutes, right? Okay. What you don't want to hear your pastor say at 1133. Now we're just getting started, kids. Buckle up. All right. All right. Guys, God's intricate design over creation and each, and each one of our lives is deep with meaning and, and significance. The Bible is God's story. It's a continual story of sin and redemption. From the very beginning word, Bereshit, 
God's ministry of reconciliation through his son, Jesus Christ, is revealed. You guys understand that he had you and I in mind on day one. He knew that we were going to need a savior. And he provided one for us in the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Guys, but that's not all. (laughs) Not only have we been redeemed by the saving work of Christ, not only are we the light of the world helping to push back darkness and, and helping to open the world's eyes to who God is and his glory that they might worship him, but we've also been given the ministry of reconciliation just like God gave Jesus. Let me read this passage to you again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's familiar. It starts in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old, I'm sorry, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, chapter 6, verse 1, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. We are God's ambassadors, his representatives, his co-workers in bringing the message of the light of the world to the people in darkness all around us. In the beginning, God created. Man, did he ever. (laughs) Is anybody else fired up this morning, excited about this? Man, this has been like, whoo. You should see the guy that was in the video that was teaching me that stuff about Bereshit. He was fired up. If you want to go to YouTube and just look that up, he, he reminded me of the guy in The Princess Bride that's like, you know, never start a land war with a Sicilian. That guy was this guy teaching me Hebrew, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, then just trust me, it's hilarious. I'm going to pray for you this morning, us, and I'm going to pray from Ephesians chapter 2. You don't have to look at it. You can just close your eyes and listen. But just in that theme of light and revelation and what God wants us to see and understand about him and ourselves, this is what Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, and I pray this for us today. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?